Amen. Isaiah chapter 27. Shall we turn there? Uh, Isaiah chapter 27. It's a short chapter, and we're actually going to mainly focus on one verse, though we'll look at a, one or two around it. In Isaiah chapter 27, I will read this and hear from the reading of the Word of God. Um, first of all, Isaiah chapter 27, a very short chapter, uh, just 13 verses, I think. Let's hear the Word of God together. He says, in that day the Lord with his hand, with his, sorry, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. In that day a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day, I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them up together, or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me, let them make peace with me. In days to come, verse 6, in days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom, and put forth shoots to fill the whole world with fruit. Has he struck them as he struck those who struck them, or have they been slain as their slayers were slain? Measure by measure, by exile, you contended with them. He removed them with his fierce breath in the day of the east wind. Therefore, by this, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for, and this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin. When he makes all the stones of the, of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces, no asherim or incense altars will remain standing. For the fortified city is solitary, a habitation deserted and forsaken like the wilderness. There the calf grazes, there it lies down and strips its branches. When its boughs are dry, they are broken. Women come and make a fire of them, for this is a people without discernment. Therefore, he who made them will not have compassion on them. He who formed them will show them no favor. In that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, the Lord will thresh out the grain and you will be gleaned one by one. O people of Israel, and in that day a great trumpet will be blown, and those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. So that's the reading for us tonight. What's the title that I've given this sermon? It's simply this. The whole world filled with fruit you think well whoa whoa hang on a moment we, we just read a quotation from isaiah chapter 1 verse 9 and he said look uh, because of their disobedient rebellion he said if the lord of hosts had not been left as a few survivors we should have been like sodom and become like gomorrah just a few the lord says and now the lord is saying that through you the whole world will be filled with fruit. 
So that's the title of the sermon. And if I was to, I was asked to preach this sermon, and then I was asked, Kevin, could you, could you, could you summarize uh, the whole sermon that you preached on the back of a second-class postage stamp? Can you imagine that? That would be, you know, I'd have to get certainly a very fine pen to write it. But if I had a second-class postage stamp to write carefully, I might have to get you to write it, <laughs> to write carefully, this sermon in one little sentence on the back of that second-class postage stamp, it would say this, to teach, I hope I can get it on there, to teach the organic growth of the church through the ages. And then I've run out of space. To teach the organic growth of the church through the ages. And we're actually going to focus in really on really mainly just one verse for this whole sermon. And it's verse 6. It says, In days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom, and put forth shoots. Now, if it stopped there, we'd be encouraged. But then it says, And fill the whole world with fruit. What an amazing thing that we have revealed here for us. That through the purposes of God, that Israel and Jacob are going to take down root and then they're going to blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. And us worshipping tonight is part of that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 27 and verse 6. So the focus of that sermon is to increase our faith and the understanding of the ways of God because here we see for us, if you notice in chapter 27 and verse 2, it says, In that day a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. A pleasant vineyard, sing of it. And so remember the chapter before, God was giving them a song and we're continuing here and here there's be singing about this pleasant vineyard. Now, what's a vineyard? Well, we don't particularly live in, in the kind of place where you see many vineyards, but in the, in the, in the place of Israel, there were, there were lots of vineyards, and you would simply grow grapes, and the grapes were not simply there to eat, but also to produce wine. And so, but notice it's, the church is likened not simply to a vineyard, but actually likened to a pleasant vineyard a pleasant vineyard. And so what we see here is that this pleasant vineyard will bear fruit and fill the whole world with fruit. But interestingly, if you're aware of uh, the book of Isaiah, which we're going to come to in a moment, this first heading, this pleasant vineyard, that we've got elsewhere in Isaiah that it talks about a vineyard. So Let's get to our first heading for us tonight, which is a pleasant vineyard. The second heading for us will be root and shoots, and then thirdly, fruit in the whole world. But let's get to this first heading, that the church, and you say the church, well, yes, the church from the days of Adam until the second coming of Jesus, that's, that's the time period of the church. From, from when Adam fell and then God made this sacrifice and covered their sin with the animal skins, remember? and blood was shed, until Jesus comes back. That's the end of 
of the church in this world, but not the end of the church, because we'll spend all eternity in heaven with the Lord. But our first heading is this pleasant vineyard, and um, which we get in verse 2. A pleasant vineyard, sing of it, I the Lord am its keeper. Listen to this. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. So right now, you're part of the vineyard of the Lord. The Lord is watering it right now. Not in a mystical way, but by giving us the content of this message from Isaiah and teaching us the organic growth of the church and helping us for our faith to increase and to understand the ways of God. So let's think about this metaphor for a moment, a vineyard, and is that a new one for you? Well, no, it's not, but here it says it's a pleasant vineyard. Alec Matir was a well-known Hebrew scholar, and, and he translates this little phrase here, 27, 2 to 3, in that day a pleasant vineyard. He translates it from Hebrew like this. Listen to this. In that day a vineyard... Forgive me if you are, if you're teetotal, I don't want to offend you. I'm just telling you how he translates it, that's all. Uh, in that day, a vineyard of sparkling wine. Sing of it. I, Yahweh, keep it safe, moment by moment. I water it, lest anyone intrude upon it. How beautiful are those words. A vineyard of sparkling wine. But we've got to compare Scripture with Scripture, haven't we? Now, we, we think about this vineyard. We, we'd love the church to always be like that. And we think, well, is it always like a vineyard of sparkling wine and so forth? And the answer is no. We go back to, don't turn there, but Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah preaches about the church being a vineyard. And there it's a very different vision. Maybe that's part of this conference that's coming up because the church doesn't always look like Isaiah 27. And in Isaiah chapter 5, there's this fertile vineyard in the beginning. But guess what it ends up producing? Not sparkling wine, but Isaiah preaches there on behalf of the Lord, a fertile vineyard that's producing wild grapes. It says there that the Lord dug it up and cleared it of stones, built a watchtower in the midst of it. And so we get this portrait in Isaiah 5, and, and we're familiar as well, aren't we? Remember John's Gospel. What does Jesus say? say? I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. And he, he uses this same illustration. But also, I'm going to read to you uh, what Jesus teaches here, the same truth in his own ministry in what's known as a parable. So listen to this. It's actually from Matthew 21, 33 to 44. And here we're just seeing the continuity between the different parts of the Bible. It's not as if Isaiah's preaching this, the pleasant vineyard, and then Jesus comes on and says, my church will be a field full of tractors. Well, hang on a minute. Um, no, it's the same message, same Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus teaches now. I was looking about the church being likened to a pleasant vineyard. Listen to this. Hear another parable, says Jesus. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it 
and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruit in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. And if you read that and compare it with Isaiah 5, you think, this is the same kind of message. And it is, because Jesus is the, is the fulfillment of all the prophets. And so here we see, in Isaiah chapter 2, the vineyard is, is producing wild grapes. In the ministry of Jesus, he's speaking to the, to the house of Israel and saying, you have not been taking care of my vineyard. I'm going to take it off you and give it to others. And those others are primarily the Gentiles to tend in the vineyard. And so here in Isaiah 27, we have this beautiful prophecy that the church, among Jews and Gentiles around the world, will be likened to a pleasant vineyard, which leads us now to our second heading, which is from verse 6. This vineyard will produce root, will, will put down roots and cause shoots to go forth. And the third heading that it will be fruit that then will fill the whole earth. So that's our second heading. The first one is a pleasant vineyard. The second heading is root and shoots. Let me read verse 6 again. In days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Now, I don't know if you know that the trees around here in Hilltop Chapel Grounds, there's probably as much of the tree under the surface than there is above the surface. You just can't see what's under the surface. But deep roots, and then above the surface are these trees with all their branches. But as we think about the organic growth of the people of God from the beginning, let me just read to you a very short parable to see this organic growth of the church. Now, we're not looking here about individual congregations. Uh, there will be parallels, but we're talking here about the whole purposes of God in the whole earth. Now, listen to what Jesus says, the parable of the mustard seed, which is in Matthew 13, 31 to 32. Just a two-verse parable. 
Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. What Jesus is preaching in the parable of the mustard seed is exactly what we're finding here in verse 6. The smallest of seeds produce the biggest of trees so much the branches go everywhere and birds come and nest upon it. It's, it's an organic growth of the kingdom of God. So, therefore, when you hear people saying, oh, you know, I'm, a, I'm really afraid for the church. Well, why are you afraid? Well, there's a lot of different religions today. If Muslims keep on reproducing the way they are, the church won't exist. Thinking, well, okay, let's just go back to Isaiah 27, verse 6. In days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. What they don't tell you that children, Christians are also being kids as well, and not only in not only in Britain but also all over the world. But it's not simply about how many kids people have got; it's about the 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 truth of God that God's not competing with other religions. Perhaps a new religion could could emerge on the block next month. Who knows? It could be the Sheffield Wednesday religion. I'm just saying some just using any kind of nonsense phrase that could become a powerful religion all over the world. And God doesn't sit there with white knuckles looking down. Oh no, someone in Sheffield's developed a new religion that's going to be a real threat to Christianity. No, no. God has a purpose from before the foundation of the world. And everything is on track. Everything is on track. If we'd have been in these areas, these parts, in 1610, this very chapel wouldn't have even existed. You wouldn't have been able to have gone on Amazon and bought yourself a Bible. Oof, imagine that. But the plan of God is taking place year after year after year. And, we, and nothing can stop it. This church, if it was planted by man, it could be uprooted. But it's not planted by man all over the earth. It's planted by God. Remember one of the names of God is that he is a rock and his tree is preserved by him. So we have our second heading, which is, as we've just said, it is root and shoots. Root and shoots. And it's, it's divinely nurtured, this tree, which is the church all over the world, divinely nurtured by the Lord and we're glad it is because lots of generations come and go and they die and they go to heaven and yet the church does not fail to continue to prosper why because its roots go down deep deep into the soil lots of roots that you and I can't even see roots that happen with Abraham and the patriarchs in a part of the Near East when you and I were not there but roots are getting put down. God was making covenants which can't be broken. Deep, deep roots before you and I were ever even born. And so the outward growth of the church, this, 
this divinely nurtured vineyard. We're going to finish off our worship tonight singing the whole of Psalm 80, which is all talking about this vineyard. Why? It's the same Spirit of Christ all the way through from beginning to end until Christ himself came. Let me just give you this one short example before we get to our third heading. But what we're learning is that the purpose of God is organic. And while this revival conference next week will focus on certain divine visitations where God accelerates the extension of his church in certain times in certain places, it actually then continues with the same plan, which is the organic growth of this tree. Every year. Every year. In fact, right now we're heading into winter, aren't we? I know we're not there yet. It doesn't feel like it. But it won't be more than a few weeks when you come back. Leaves will start dropping off the trees. But leaves may start dropping off the trees, but the tree is not going back. It's not shrinking. It's not shrinking. It's actually growing. It's actually shedding the leaves so that it can put forth some new shoots. And as we see in the Word of God, Jacob shall take root, that's happened. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots. And Israel here, in its context, referring to the Old Testament people of God, but Israel, we know we look through the lens of New, the New Testament, this is referring to the people of God. And it shall put forth shoots. Well, let me just say one more thing. The outward growth of the church um, we go back to Egypt and the Exodus. And even before the Exodus, there was a whole bunch of people at the seed of Jacob who were led into Egypt until thousands upon thousands of covenant seed were there. So many people that it was really troubling Egypt. And the Pharaoh said, let's, let's, let's get these people out. And then we just think of the deliverance of the people of God from the exodus in Egypt until the day of Pentecost. Just think about that. The church was growing through different phases of ebb and flow. And at times in Isaiah's ministry, there was a lot of ebb and flow, but, but it kept growing. It does keep growing. There were high points in the time of David, high points in the time of Solomon, and the church was not always full of peace and prospering. Because we read in Isaiah 5, it was producing wild grapes. But overall, nothing will stop what God has planted. Everything that God plants will not be uprooted. If you're in Christ tonight, you can be really encouraged. If you're a Christian, God has planted you into his vine. And you can never be snatched away. And not just for a few months. If you're in Christ, you can never be snatched away for all eternity. What a gospel. What a gospel. But the outward growth of the church continued until Jesus came, the Savior of the world, the righteous one, the one who was born in Bethlehem, but even he started out small, didn't he? Started out small. But he himself, he grew. 
And today, look at the fruit. The name of Jesus is the name that is above every name. But what we're reminded is we think even about Jesus when he came, we're not to despise the day of small things. As we think about the purpose of God all over the world. Why? Because we do tend to despise the day of small things. But the church will continue to grow throughout the world through difficulties, through hardships, through setbacks and trials. But grow it shall until Jesus comes back. Well, our third and last heading is fruit in the whole world, back in Isaiah 27, 6. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Now, I'm not pushing forward a particular eschatological position. Some people are optimistic and some people are pessimistic. Some people think there'll be no Christians left almost when Jesus comes back. I'm not pushing any kind of particular position except that my position has to be shaped by the word of God and here it says that uh, this this tree will spread and fill the whole world with fruit that doesn't mean the church will go out with a whimper by the time Jesus comes back it's certainly not saying that everyone will be a Christian either you know let's not push it that far it's not saying that the whole world be Christianized no but it's saying that the fruitfulness of this tree will fill the whole world. In fact, Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end shall come. So as we close fruit for the whole world, we think about those early days, don't we? 2,000 years ago when Jesus was spoke these final words before he ascended to heaven and he said to his apostles and and you shall be my witnesses witnessing about his death and his resurrection you shall be my witnesses and he told them you will be witnesses in jerusalem and judea and samaria and the words that were ringing in their ears as they went down the mountain back into jerusalem are these words and to the ends of the earth and to the ends of the earth and so the church will grow. And hopefully this will fill us with renewed vision tonight. And renewed vision for the working of the Holy Spirit in the church. The working of the Holy Spirit locally as well as internationally. A vision near and far. That the church is likened to this pleasant vineyard. That will go way beyond the borders of Israel. Today, where are those spiritual vineyards? There are spiritual pleasant vineyards in Zaire or Democratic Republic of Congo. What about Sri Lanka? Um, Taiwan, I've not been to Taiwan, but I know someone who's a pastor out there. Bolivia, couldn't quite even put on the map where Bolivia is, but it's South or Central America. What about, there's, there's a pleasant vineyards in Northern Canada. Finland, never been to Finland, but I'm assured there are pleasant vineyards there. Crete, Crete, throw another one in, Rhodes, Cyprus, Zimbabwe, Moldova, not been there, Ethiopia, Togo, 
And we can mention other place after place after place. But there are many parts of the world where there are not spiritual vineyards yet. Where it's illegal to have a spiritual vineyard. Some may be underground where in places like Saudi Arabia, but there are many, many parts of the world, much of North Africa, where there are not spiritual vineyards and where the gospel's never been preached yet. So don't want to get the impression that the job is done and we can simply sit back and relax. But we're emphasizing here that this tree will grow, the church will grow and fill the whole world with fruit. And so as we close, let's just think about the United Kingdom as it's so called today. England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales. It, it, it wasn't always known as the United Kingdom. Um, these little islands here, uh, there was a time when this prophecy was known, but the gospel had not taken root here. North of the border, there wasn't even a border then, but there were men running around with, with, with skirts on, known as kilts. Totally pagan, knowing nothing of the gospel at all. And, and also, um, the people here, they, they, they didn't know the gospel of God. And apparently, there were, the gospel first came, we can't say for definite, but probably through Roman soldiers who came here and testified of Jesus. And things began very small in these islands. But from small beginnings, the gospel began to take root. But it didn't take root overnight. It wasn't with, by the end of the first century that there were churches all over the, the island. Far from it. Because by the, I don't know, 5th or the 6th century, there was a mission station on the island of Iona with Columba, you've probably heard of him, and, and, and Bede up in the northeast, and seeking to spread the gospel for, for these heathen peoples. So let's remember that the history of these islands is not all being Christian, far from it. But God has been tending the vineyard here. And so there's been times where there has been successive revivals in, in, in the 18th century and the gospel being preached all over the place, the vineyard being tended for. Today we long for spiritual revival in the United Kingdom, but let's remember it says here that God will fill the whole world with his fruit. Well, let's conclude tonight, this sermon, with one other tiny, tiny parable by Jesus, probably the smallest parable that he teaches. In Matthew 13, 33, teaching the same organic growth of his kingdom. Listen to this small parable as we come to a close. It's a powerful parable. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. That's the smallest parable that I know of. And it's, the kingdom of God is likened up to a woman who has got some uh, uh, flour here and and, and, and leaven is added until it's all mixed and it's all leavened. And what leaven does, it causes bread to rise, doesn't it? In other words, the gospel will pervade and produce fruit in the whole world 
until Jesus comes back. And that should give us hope, it should give us faith, it should give us encouragement. And the encouragement of all encouragements is this. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That he is alive. He lives forever. He's guiding his church. He's guarding his church. He's preserving his church and causing his church to grow and grow and grow. We've no idea when Jesus will come back. We could have gone to have been with the Lord for who knows how long. And yet this vision will come to pass until Jesus returns. And then we'll spend all eternity together with the riches of this truth. Blessed be God for Jesus Christ.